Ever been to Delaware? If not, now's the time to visit. You'll find a lot of fun in a little state. Since you can drive anywhere in the state in a couple of hours, you'll spend less time driving and more time enjoying. Explore from the bays to the beaches, stroll the boardwalks, and have an oceanside bonfire. Get a taste of Delaware at one of the award-winning restaurants and enjoy a local craft brew. See the first state's unique historic landmarks and experience Delaware's endless discoveries. Plan your adventure today at visitdelaware.com. This is Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Hey everybody, producer Thim here. Uh, we have a special episode for you this week. Uh, some of you may have seen that uh, we did a bourbon tasting with Mark Gillespie from WhiskeyCast yesterday and live streamed that on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, uh, go to at WhiskeyCast and uh, watch our shenanigans. But uh, with Mark's permission, uh, this week we're going to post the audio from that tasting as, uh, as the episode so you guys can enjoy it here. But I can't stress this enough. You should go watch the video too, if for no other reason than I was wearing a bathrobe the entire time. Now, keep in mind, this was 5 p.m., so I was very much still in pajamas into the evening. And I, I just want to be clear here after trying four bourbons, I was not any more motivated to get out of pajamas. So that went my entire day yesterday was pajamas. But, uh, you know, that's the quarantine for you. Anyways, hope you enjoy. Good afternoon, whiskey fans. It's five o'clock Eastern Coast, East Coast time rather. It's Wednesday, and it's time for the Whiskey Cast Wednesday webcast. I'm Mark Gillespie from WhiskeyCast.com in the uh, Whiskey Cast studio here in uh, New Jersey, just outside of Philadelphia. Hope the week has gone well for you so far and that uh, you are staying healthy, staying safe, and most of all, staying home right now because. Uh, that's going to be the key to getting us all through this uh, time period. We are going to talk for the next hour or so about whiskey, and we're actually going to be tasting bourbons this time around. If you're familiar with the Whiskey Cast Tasting Panel podcast, we're going to sort of bring that format back and do it on video for the first time. And I've got to tell you that this is a this is a show that I have been trying to do for a while now. We have two guests so far. Third, a third one will be joining us. We have from one of the podcasts I listen to regularly, Ask or it's Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. On your far right, James Hinchcliffe, the IndyCar driver. And in the middle, Tim Durham, known as Tim to his friends, the producer of Ask <laughs> Off Track. Or Off Track. And we are waiting for Alexander Rossi to join us. And uh, there he is. That's Sorry, great. guys. Alexander. <laughs> Good to see y'all. Good. If you guys want to bust on him for a couple of late, feel free, guys. But uh, it's usually James. So this it wasn't is, uh, me. This is weird. It wasn't yeah. me this time. This I'm due great. for it. Yeah. As a listener of, of Off Track, you know that it's normally me that screws stuff up. So I'm uh, I'm thrilled, thrilled to bits today that it was Alex. Well, I, mean, I, I mean, want. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Alex. What'd you say? No, it's just usually James delays this by like 25 minutes. This was like <laughs> 20 seconds. So. I'll take it. I'll take anyone yeah. I can get. Well, I have to admit, this is a podcast we've been wanting to do for a couple of years now, uh, because uh, I found out a couple of years ago that uh, you guys actually have a bit of a a bourbon love within the IndyCar paddock. We do. And you're, 
Yes. I saw the, uh, the athletic piece that Bob Kravitz did with you a couple of weeks ago, Alexander, where he talked about taking you downtown in Indianapolis to taste bourbon and talked about this tasting club you guys have. Yep. First it, of all, it was funny because he, he was like, oh, come out, come out for some bourbons. And I, I thought I ordered very modestly. And then he had a phone call with James afterwards and was like, oh, my God, it was $200. And it's just, <laughs> what did you order? Um, just some antique 107. And then I think we ordered a, I think like a Russell's store pick. Like it wasn't anything crazy. I was trying to be respectful, but like you do two pours each and it's 25, 30 bucks a pour. And, and there you go. I have to admit, there is a reason why I generally don't buy whiskey when I go to bars. It's because, uh, if you look back here, I got a reasonably decent selection at home. So that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So tell me how you guys do it bourbon in the first place and how they're, how widespread is this tasting club within the paddock? Within the paddock, it's pretty small. Um, really, it was uh, a mutual friend of, of Alex and I's. Uh, it was actually, sorry, Tim, it was my my first producer for a podcast. Uh, was, you know, a big bourbon guy, worked in the IndyCar paddock and sort of introduced us to it and had a couple friends from around town that were sort of into it. And I had actually gotten Robbie Wickens, who was uh, my teammate at the time, into it and we decided, hey, why don't we get a little group together? And I think there's six of us total. Um, and what we try to do, and you know, obviously schedule pending, is get together once a month. We'll each bring a bottle in a bag, so it's a blind tasting. We'll set them all up, and we'll rate them blind, and then do a big reveal, and uh, you know, and see what what really is good bourbon, and and you know, what's what's maybe a label that you're buying more than actually the juice inside. And what have you guys found? I think the the most surprising thing that we found is is Woodford, like their best bourbon is just their standard Woodford Reserve. Like we've tried um, quite a few different iterations of it, some of their kind of um, limited edition stuff. And it's honestly, whenever we've done the blind tastings, it's been like towards the bottom pretty consistently. So it's interesting because because Woodford and, and Basil Hayden's were the kind of two gateway bourbons, I think, for, for James and I. So um they're obviously both fine, but as, as our taste has evolved, it's very interesting to see how um, kind of the, the more standard labels fall by the wayside to a certain extent. Tim, how much experience have you had with bourbon and do these guys share with you? I don't, uh, my, my palate is unrefined and battle-worn. Uh, <laughs> I don't drink as nice as <laughs> bourbon as these guys, but I think I probably have a little bit more. What was that, Alex? I said it's just like your appearance, unrefined. <laughs> you know, it's vaguely March or April. I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> I've left the house in four weeks. <laughs> if you have not, in your defense, it's hard to keep track these Rocky days. And I it's March, bro. These guys bust on thim, as they call it, on a <laughs> basis. I'll show you an example of this. It's a sticker that the guys at Toronto Motorsports did a while back with the uh, guys <laughs> in, at the uh, yard of bricks at the speedway dumping a bottle of milk over not them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I don't a, think I've ever looked that's better. pretty I'm accurate. Probably, it's kind of just a, an honor that he's on the sticker, to be honest. Like, he's <laughs> <happy>. <laughs> yeah, but he makes yeah. you guys sound good. At the end, yeah. and all said and done. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> If you have a question or a comment and you're watching right now, feel free to ask it in the uh, chat windows on Facebook, YouTube, or Periscope. And 
we can pass it along. We have some already. Uh, Martin McKenna, greetings from Ireland right now. Greg's Whiskey Guide, one of our regular listeners. Hi from Paris. Graham Fraser, hi from Scotland. Um, Bill Ricker in Boston, a smart bartender, told once told me Woodford Reserve is the scotch drinker's bourbon. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. And, uh, J.D. Hook, uh, Cracked the Old Elk, looking forward to this tasting. And we have our first question, actually, before we get to the bourbons. Chris Ratcliffe has a question for you, Alex, because you've done some F1 <laughs> in the past. How different are the paddocks in the U.S. versus Europe? Do the drivers hang out more? And I guess he's asking comparison between Europe and the U.S. I'm betting from what I've heard from you in the past, there's no comparison there. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think um, in Europe, it's it's very much kind of every man for himself. Um, you know, it's all of the teams run their organizations like a, like a pretty cutthroat business. Um, the, 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 the money behind Formula One is, is a lot more than IndyCar. And um, to a certain extent, the phrase money is the root of all evil applies to that paddock pretty, pretty heavily. So there's just a lot of, of ulterior motives and hidden agendas. And it's difficult to know who kind of has your best interest at heart. Um, whereas you go IndyCar racing and, and while, you know, money is still, you know, the topic of, of most conversations, it's still more of a, a grassroots level type of, of professional racing. And, and people are there because they love competing and they love winning. Um, and people aren't doing it solely just to, to run a business and, and try and, and um, make as much money as possible, regardless of the outcomes. Like they're there to compete, they're there to win. And then the drivers, you know, because we race on the ovals, there's, a different level of, of appreciation and, and respect for one another. And that kind of trickles all the way from on the racetrack to off the track as well. So there's not many guys in the, in the European paddock that I would hang out with, whereas it's the complete opposite in IndyCar. Um, there's not many guys I wouldn't hang out with. So it was a welcome change, something that took me a little bit of time to get used to, but uh, ultimately I wouldn't have it any other way and uh, very happy to be here. Hinch, I have to ask you about this because you've been around the paddock a lot longer than Alex in IndyCar. Uh, the whiskey story that I can talk about with you on this one is that in 2010, when the first time I'd really had a chance to listen to you for any length of time, I'm sitting in a bed and breakfast on the island of Isla in Scotland during the Isla Festival on 500 race weekend on race day, listening to you as the guest driver analyst on the IndyCar radio network that day. And that right. was the first chance I'd had to listen to you for any length of time, because you were still in Indy Lights back then. But I heard what I was hearing back then, because I'm an Indiana boy from birth, but I was uh, on this island in Scotland trying to listen to the race on the internet and listening to you and uh, the guys call the race. And I'm thinking, it's a good thing I got out of radio when I did, because he's going to come along and beat some of us some of these days in radio as well. Tell me about when Alex came into the paddock because he came in a few years after you and you were already established in IndyCar and he was coming in from F1. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Alex is, uh, Alex is, you know, a tenure in the series started, I think in a way that uh, caught him sort of by surprise and, you know, I'll let him jump in and correct any of my, uh, any of my historical inaccuracies here. But, you know, he had had a, a deal to uh, to compete in Formula One in 2016 originally, and that was sort of taken from him. And, uh, and IndyCar was sort of the, the, the stopgap, I think, uh, initially. But uh, what was awesome about, about, you know, meeting Alex kind of really the first week he was in Indianapolis was 
really seeing the change in him because he did come over sort of feeling like uh, it's weird talking about him like he's not listening, uh, but uh, sort of <laughs> feeling like, you know, this this was a mildly inconvenient way to spend a year, but he'd be back on track to Formula One in no time. And seeing the transition over a very short period of time to him all of a sudden like embracing the IndyCar world, the cars, the form of racing, the camaraderie within the paddock. It was awesome to see, you know, we had a, we had another convert, so to speak. And, you know, he's, he's since become one of my best friends in the paddock and, and I mean, he stood in my wedding. So we've obviously grown pretty close. I can't stand the guy. How did you guys get connected with Tim? I don't know. Around. We had this discussion. I still do not understand. I don't know when we met for the first time. I don't know who introduced us or why. I don't know why we still chat. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's kind of like the, uh, the Shining. Like you started hanging out with me and then you realize you've always been here. I've always been here. <laughs> well, the first, the very first time I met Tim, um, like he was kind of just at a, at a test in Phoenix and he was a nice enough guy. And, and he, he was someone that kind Before of- we did that video, yeah. Yeah, he was, he was cordial and started talking to me and, and it was easy to have a conversation with him. It was funny and it was like, okay, that's fine. And then like, we ended up talking for like 20 minutes or so. And then he kind of just left. I was like, who is this? Like, <laughs> like he's not an Andretti Autosport employee, but he's like doing videos for Andretti. And he seems to know everyone. But he's not part of, I just, it was very confusing. And uh, here we are four years later. And I'm not going to clarify any of that. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to give any details. Wrong. I don't think you can. I don't <laughs> think you actually know why you were there or why you were doing videos for Andretti hey, Autosport. We made a fun video that day though. It was a good video. Yeah. Good video. That was actually a good one. Well, let's this open up bourbon, sir. What do you say we open up the first bourbon? It's sample A that you guys have. I'm surprised Tim still has his left. <laughs> it was actually just tea. Yeah, I, I drank it all. And, and, and Mark, thank you, uh, thank you kindly for the uh, for the glasses here. These are very, uh, very nice, Glen Cairns. Well, that's uh, that's how we roll around here. That's the only way you get these is if you're either in our whiskey club of the month, or you're a panelist on one of our tasting panel shows, or you catch me at a whiskey festival. If I happen to have a couple in my bag, and sometimes I've been known to carry them. With the only swag we have, and uh, I wasn't sure what you guys had for glassware, so I wanted to make sure you guys had something we could uh, taste and nose properly with. Perfect. So we're going to start out with Appreciate it. a classic. Ancient, ancient age, 10-year-old. And I'm going to point out here, I have a smart ass on the uh, comments line. My daughter points out, Brianna says, or are related. Yeah, the family gets I'm sure she has a couple. <laughs> she has access to the keys to the warehouse. Back to the whiskey, though. Ancient, ancient age, 10-year-old. Not the 10-star, which is, I think, about six years old now, but the 10-year-old. This hasn't been on the market for probably since 2012, 2013. And when it was on the market, it was Kentucky only. It was made at Buffalo Trace, and it is at uh, 43%, 86 proof. And... We went talked briefly, and I, I know Hinch and Tim said they had not tried this. I'm not sure if you've ever tried this before, Alex. Have you tried it? I have not, but I'm a big fan of any Buffalo Trace product, so I'm excited. Okay. So uh, you guys know how to do this, so let's get the noses in there and see what you think. 
And there are no wrong answers here. And if uh, folks have a dram at home, please go ahead and uh, pour something for yourselves as well. I'm going to let these guys. Yeah, you definitely away. smell the lower proof. And this is more about what you guys know that I'm really picking up much other than the, the alcohol content, to be honest. Any notes of, say, does it smell, say, like uh, maybe caramel or caramel apples or brown sugar or molasses or something like that? You get any of that in there? There's something There's something sweet there for sure. <laughs> A little bit of the caramel. Maybe kind of but dry. It's, yeah, it's, it, is, it is sweet. It's a hard no for me on, on anything on the nose, which is interesting. <laughs> now that you mentioned the, the caramel, I can definitely smell that. I wonder how much of a product that is of, of you mentioning yeah, it first. <laughs> caramel or like honey kind of, just like it's got a sweetness to it that I don't hate the smell of. <laughs> One of the fun things I noticed uh, when I've come to the IndyCar races in the past was if you're down in the pits, when you guys fire up the engines, when you're using uh, the fuel grade ethanol, which is 85% ethanol, that stuff isn't far off from the ethanol that's used in whiskey. And it smells an awful lot like a distillery around. <laughs> I, I don't think you have made that comparison or not, but I, that's I, why I like racing. Must be why we like racing so much. <laughs> <laughs> so I went, I went ahead and tried it because I was struggling to pick up anything with my nose and I got a lot of cinnamon. Okay. Well, go Which, ahead. And let's see what you get on the taste, Tim. I'm I'm getting the cinnamon that he's talking about. It's a lot. I guess the lower alcohol content. It's a lot smoother than I was expecting. Yeah, I'm getting I'm getting some kind of leathery leathery flavors on the back end for sure. Little little bit of spice, a little bit of leathery, a little bit of leather. Where does this rank on? It, are the four that you sent me kind of ones that are in your rotation right now, or are these some of your favorites or, or how did you come up with, with these four samples? I came up with these because basically what I did was pick uh, four of the uh, bottles off of my shelf that were extremely hard to find that haven't been around in a long time or that were very rare when they did come out. And I figured you guys had access to all the current stuff. So I wanted to give you something to try that, uh, to challenge you a little bit and give you a chance to taste something that uh, you might not have tasted before. That's that's awesome. We appreciate All you're that. doing I, is making it diff. You, you, you know, you're gonna make us fall in love with something that we can't get our hands on now. That's the problem. Well, that's not the case. It's just a chance for you guys to taste something and get out of your comfort zone a little bit, but to widen your knowledge a little bit. Um, we joke about this all the time, but the <clears throat> stuff back here is yeah, it's a library, but it's for sharing and it's. Whiskey is best when it's shared with friends. And I personally think that uh, we want to, I want to try to get as many of these whiskeys into friends, into people's hands as I can. So we, that's why I wanted to pick four out of here that uh, I might not ever be able to replace them, but I want to make sure I share them with people who will enjoy them. And I've enjoyed watching you guys over the years and listening to the podcast. And I wanted to share them with you. So can I, can I quarantine there? Appreciate um, your your selection's <laughs> a lot better than mine. <laughs> you gonna bring Pappy with you? <laughs> His name yes. is Teddy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, I'll bring the puppy. <laughs> Very well played, Mark. Very well played. <laughs> well, explain so this. Mark, what what do you get out of this one? His dog. Yeah, James. Do you want to you want to explain what what you named your dog after? Right. So I named my dog Weller. 
because Weller's uh, kind of my favorite brand. And when Fim told us that he was getting a puppy, uh, Alex and I immediately threw out names like Russell's or Pappy or, you know, uh, and evidently he let his five-year-old daughter decide the name, which I thought was rude. Uh, Well, here's the other thing about that. I told them that my daughter was going to pick the name. So Alex actually showed up to my daughter's sixth birthday party to suggest Pappy. He like I think that's the only reason he came there was to lobby a six year old like hey uh, name name this dog Pappy and then he uh, what were Obviously, the other ones you added that Alex? A great lobbyist um, I didn't just come for that you had White Castle <laughs> that's true uh, I also had White Castle for my daughter's birthday okay. so he did come uh, for that too and I love your daughter so it, it, it was a <laughs> well my oldest daughter the one who chimed in earlier has a border collie and named Poppy, and I keep referring to her as Poppy Van Winkle. So That's good. That's good. <laughs> so if you want to add a little bit of water to this, tell me what you think with some water, see if that changes it and opens it up a little bit with just a few drops of room temperature water. I named one of my dogs off of a fictitious um, meal and event that <laughs> Tim and I participate in. So I'm not one to judge on dog names. So while you guys are adding water and nosing this, are you for the are record, you, Pappy is still a better name. Thing series. Uh, I've been watching the the iRacing IndyCar Challenge, and uh, Sage Karam keeps beating everybody in the field, but I think it's because he basically sits at home and runs his sim operation all the day, all day long. I mean, Will Power is pretty good too, <laughs> which is annoying. <laughs> I was uh, I was doing a race two nights ago, I think. Uh, that Sage was in. Oh, it was last night, and uh, it was one that Joseph Newgarden hosted, and he won it. And you know, TK was on the radio, and somebody <laughs> else, maybe I forget who else was on there. And uh, we're like, Sage, you're just too good at this stuff. And he was like, we, we were kind of giving him a bit of flack about it. He was like, Man, you guys got to remember all the last five years when you've been driving real cars, I've been doing this. <laughs> I'm like, Okay. When you put it into perspective like that, it's a bit different. So adding water to this definitely expanded it for me a little bit um, and gave it a bit of depth. And I'm now getting almost like a, I don't know if chocolate, dark chocolate is the right word. Yeah. But I'm definitely getting that like on, huh? Yeah. Like baker's chocolate or uh like a like a one of those heavy high cocoa level chocolate bars yeah, yeah, yeah. like a, a bitter dark chocolate yeah it's growing on with a little bit of water which one of these pairs with an eight hour netflix binge and, and just general sadness yes <laughs> all of them <laughs> all of them but yeah for me it's um it, it softened off that sort of leathery feeling on the back it's it it tastes a bit earthy but i don't know if i don't know if that's Maybe it's the oak in there, but it's, um, for me, it's got sort of that earthy finish. Um, and it, was, it was softened off definitely a bit by the water. We have a comment from Slim. What are you getting in this one, Mark? Late, what are you drinking? We are drinking ancient, ancient age, 10-year-old bourbon right now. And we have uh, three more that we'll be going with. Glad you're watching right now. So do you guys like this one? I would give this one a, I do. a solid, I do. A solid five like it's middle of the road for me i'm gonna be perfectly honest sounds good i'd go go a little higher but seven range okay 
Well, let's move on to our second one. This one is limited availability outside of Kentucky, but uh, our old pal Jim Rutledge, who uh, was the master distiller for almost five decades at Four Roses and retired a couple of years ago, has uh, out with his Cream of Kentucky bourbon and sourced whiskey. It's come from another distillery. Jim didn't say which one it was. I am guessing it was not Four Roses, but uh, it's 11 and a half years old. And Jim has bottled this one at 51% ABV. So uh, let's try this one. It's gotten some rave reviews around Kentucky. You'll find my tasting notes for all four of these bourbons on the WhiskeyCast website as well. But once again, this is about what these guys are tasting and not what I'm tasting. But if you want to look at my tasting notes for reference later on, feel free. So let's go ahead and try the Cream of Kentucky, 11 and a half year old bourbon. Once again, if you have questions or comments, feel free to throw them in in the chat windows and we will uh, try to pass them along. I get a lot of wood wood in this one and leather. Um, yeah. The nose is much more upfront for me on this than it, than it was the other. Yeah. It almost smells a little scrunchy to me. The wood you're going to have from the in the bourbons. What was that? The older the whiskey gets, the more influence you're going to have from the wood. Sure. We're going to try a 21 year old here in a few minutes, and I know you're going to get wood on that one. It is. It is a little scotchiness to it, James. You're right. Yeah, it's. I smell that a little bit more on this one for sure than than most bourbons actually. So one one thing to note is James knows this, knows this very well, but I absolutely despise Four Roses, except for their anniversary <laughs> bottles. So I'm very <laughs> taste this and see if it changes my impression of at least one of the the creators. <laughs> so like almost a little bit of vanilla in there, or am I crazy on that? No, no, the vanilla comes from the uh, vanillins in the oak that the alcohol uh, pulls extracts from the oak during maturation. That's how you get the vanilla notes in there. The vanilla and the caramels come from the caramelized sugar. The vanillins come from the uh, chemical, the compounds in the wood that break down over time with the alcohol. And actually that's where you get the vanilla. Yeah. So you'll get vanilla in a lot of bourbon, in a lot of bourbons for that reason. Mm-hmm. Has, has right. anyone tried it yet? I'm sorry, Alex, what? Have you tried it yet, James? Not yet. Go ahead. Peppery. It's yeah, it is a little spicy, but not in a bad way. I actually quite like that. Yeah, yeah. it's got a lot of rye in the. Uh, it's a yeah. Nashville. I'm uh, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm a I'm a rye guy for sure. <laughs> Guilty as charged. No, that's um, that's got a lovely flavor. Had you guys had much experience with whiskey before getting into bourbons a few years ago? Zero. No, like I said, I mean, kind of the Basil Hayden's was. I, I like that kind of with a rock and that was all I really knew to order. And I was actually introduced to it by the guy that, that James mentioned earlier, who was um, his previous um, podcast host. We had a, an event together in Las Vegas and uh, he took me out to lunch and he was like, Oh, do you like bourbon? I was like, ah, not really. I don't, I don't really know anything about it. And he kind of opened with, with Basil Haynes. And from that lunch, I kind of fell in love with it and, now, four years later, we, we drink bourbon pretty much all the time together. So. Very regularly. Yeah. A lot. Um, but yeah, no, it's, 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 uh, it's interesting. I used to like McKellen a lot until I started to appreciate bourbon, and now I can't stand it. So it's, it's just the, the evolution of 
of your taste and i really don't like scotch at all anymore which i don't know okay James. i've always struggled with scotch i mean my my brother lived in the uk for six years and uh, he uh, developed quite an affinity for scotch um and i'm trying to i'm sort of you know moving him to the bourbon side a little bit but uh i've always just i've always found them a little bit too peaty and a bit a bit too earthy and again i, I probably haven't you know dived uh, too far into it to uh to get some of the better ones but for me kind of glen morangie was sort of the only one i could genuinely enjoy a glass of you know without just trying to feel like i was you know suffering through it <laughs> if i'm honest but then discovered bourbon and you know so when i when i started with bourbon the one that really turned me was so there's a restaurant here in indianapolis called uh, it's it's a barbecue joint it's called north end barbecue and they do the they have a very extensive bourbon list and they have um kind of tastings that you can you can plan so for my birthday one year i think we got a group of 10 people went down and did i think a five or six bourbon tasting and the guy came in and he educated us all a lot on on you know how bourbon's made the rules that make it bourbon whatever and we tried a, a variety of different bourbons. And I think with a lot of a lot of people, when you're new to it, you kind of default to some of the sweeter stuff. It's a little bit easier to, to kind of get through. And he had uh, in our lineup an Angel's Envy rum finished rye and very sweet, which I mean, today I could have, you know, maybe a finger of it. And that's that's probably all I could do. But back then it was it tasted like candy. I'm like, this is OK. I like <laughs> bourbon now. This, this is this stuff, you know. And uh, it just kind of helped my palate accept, you know, whiskey and accept bourbon and start to develop. And uh, and that was kind of the one that really did it for me. My nope. takeaway from that was that I wasn't invited to that birthday party. Me neither. You know, I didn't know you then. <laughs> I didn't know you either. <laughs> so no Canadian whiskeys for you, James. I know that you're from uh, the Toronto area, right? Yeah, I am. And um, I mean... I love which? Drake. Oh, <laughs> the Virginia Black. Oh, yeah. Virginia Black. I mean, it was actually better than I thought it was going to be, in all honesty. Uh, you know, not not in my top five, but it was better than I thought. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Crown comes out with some good stuff every once in a while. Um, but no, honestly, the, the Canadian whiskeys haven't uh, haven't captured me in a, in a tremendous way um, from the ones that I've tried. Do you have a favorite Canadian whiskey, Mark? I have a, a bunch of them, and I will acknowledge that Lot 40 is one of our sponsors. And by the way, that uh, Virginia Black of Drake's is not actually made in Canada, nor is it made in Virginia. It's made in Indiana, down <laughs> on I-74, down at MGP. No way. Yeah. It's made in Indiana. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. But, well, that's, uh, why we, that's why he liked it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, we have a Canadian and an American, yet the American has Crown Royal sponsorship on his car a few races yeah, it seems it seems wrong, doesn't it? Although most of those bottles end up at my house anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> well, hey, you're with Andretti for the for this 500, right? So that'll That's be going true. your way too. That's true. Well, we have a mutual friend, Alex, in uh, Stephen Wilson at Crown Royal. Okay. Yep. And I know that, and he sends his regards. By the way, I told him you were coming on the show. Fantastic. I know you've done some stuff with him during May the last couple of years as part of their. Uh, the wall of honor that they do for uh, military veterans around Memorial day and around the armed forces day holidays. You want to tell us about that for a second? Sure. Um, so, so crown Royal is, um, 
very supportive of, of you know, our, our, our armed forces, um, our veterans, current and, and former um, people who have served our country. And, and in partnership with Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, last year they launched the Wall of Gratitude, um, which is this amazing kind of structure. Um, I don't know what the right terminology is, kind of statue. It's, it's a wall. Um, and there's a lot of, of names listed of, of uh, heroes who we're appreciative of. And, and there's so much around the month of May in the Indianapolis 500 that are about our veterans and about those who serve our country and, and make the ultimate sacrifice. And it was very special for me to kind of be one of the spokespersons for the Wall of Gratitude and the unveiling of it and, and just the, the representation of, of kind of the Crown Royal desire to give back and to continue to support um, our current and former active military members and their families. And uh, it's just, it's, it's very cool. It all ties in very well to the Indianapolis 500 and a lot of what that event celebrates. And um, it's more than just driving race cars in a circle. Um, it's about the, the community, it's about the nation, and it's about the history of, of everything that we came from. So what do we think of uh, Cream of Kentucky now that you guys have, guys have had a chance to taste it? I, I like it. I like it more. It's more, it's more complex for me. Um, it's got a bit more going on. So I'll give this a good six and a half, seven on a score. Tim, what do you think? I, I like this one a lot more as well. Um, I, I didn't, I would have put the last one at about a seven. So, so I don't know where that lands this, but um, yeah, I, I like a little bit of the spice that it has. I think the the flavors are a little more complex. I, I enjoy this one more. I have to admit, I'm, I really enjoy this one a lot. I'm not I'm trying to remember what I scored. I think I scored this a 94 on a hundred point scale, but um, I've, I've enjoyed this one. And it's one I, I, I've, I've actually never seen this on a store shelf. I was, they sent me a bottle of it when I was, uh, when it first came out to be able to do tasting notes on it. So it's hard to find on the East coast, but you can find it in Kentucky. So let's move on now to our oldest one. Elijah Craig, 21 year old. All right. I'm excited about this. I'm a, <laughs> a big Elijah Craig guy. Tim, or sorry, James, James really isn't. Um, but in my top three whiskeys, bourbons ever is the uh, Barrel Proof B517. Um, I found a case of that in New York and scooped it up about a year and a half ago, and I'm down to my last bottle and a half. Um, I love that stuff. So I have I have an 18 year, um, but I'm really excited to try this. So thank you. I don't. I have a bottle of the 23, but it's almost empty, and I didn't have enough of it to send pour samples out or send samples to you guys. I, I was thinking about that one, but I've looked at it. And I'm going, there's not enough to get three good samples out of that one. So but this one I had some of them. If you're a whiskey nut, you'll recognize this is the old labeling. They've since uh, updated the uh, Elijah Craig packaging. I think this is about a six or seven year old bottle that uh, was actually, if you look at it, this was distilled back in 1990. So this was actually, I think, about the time you got even or I know before a little, a little before Alex, <laughs> yeah, before Alex, you're the youngest of the bunch, but uh, this was distilled in 1990, which makes it unusual because it's one of the few whiskeys you'll find that was around still from heaven Hill before the 1996 fire in Bardstown that destroyed the distillery. They now right. put everything up at Bernheim in Louisville. So it's hard to find, 
pre-1996 Heaven Hill whiskey anymore, but this is one of those few single barrels that's still out there. So, or are they still, are they still smells producing? like an Elijah Craig. I'm sorry, go ahead, please, Alex, one more time. Are they, are they still releasing a 21 and 23 every year or no? They release it when they have bought barrels that meet the standard. It's generally an annual release, but they release those, uh, the 1821 and 23s when they have barrels that hold up. Because they don't, since it's based on supply, they don't always have uh, a supply of barrels that hold up generally. But yeah, these are, they try to make this an annual release. Yeah, 23 years is tough to get anything out of it. I'm sorry, what? 23 years is tough to, to, get, to get anything out of a barrel, for sure. Yeah. Uh, at that point, you're down to the point where if it goes much longer than that, you've basically got uh, syrup in the bottom and, and not much else because of all the evaporation over the years. And have you guys had a chance to go into a Rick house down there? Mm. Yes, sir. Yep. What do yeah, you think? We actually uh, places? love it. Love it. I mean, everything about it, the, the design of them, the engineering behind them, it's so simple yet so sophisticated. The smell is incredible. I mean, Alex even bought a Rick House scented candle and put it in his house and it's amazingly, <laughs> it recreates the scent amazingly accurately. Uh, but yeah, no, we, uh, we had an opportunity actually with our group to go to uh, go down to Kentucky and do a, do a single barrel select uh, of Blanton's. Uh, that we're going to actually be releasing uh, for charity here. It was supposed to be in May, but obviously with everything going on, it's going to be, you know, deferred a little bit, but uh, incredible, incredible experience. Y yet another thing I wasn't invited to. Correct. You're not part of the group. <laughs> we should also point out Tim spends most of his time out in California. He does. I don't think that's why. No, it's not. <laughs> but we're going to go with that. <laughs> Okay, what do you think of the nose on this one, guys? I don't know. I just want to try it. Sorry. Nope. <laughs> I get a little bit of honey. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's got it's got that sort of distinct EC scent to it. To be honest, I get a little bit of cherry cola. Hmm. Like you're drinking like black cherries or like a like a cherry coke or something like that with some vanilla. I could see that. I get something almost um, like like piney. Yeah, like piney pine. almost. Yeah, yeah. Or like a little bit of pipe tobacco, something like that. Where do you come up with cherry cola? That wouldn't even enter my mind as a potential option. Like that's a very <laughs> Well, no, it's if you get this uh, sort of like a, a combination of a caramel cola taste, like if you were drinking a, a Coke or a Pepsi, but then you get that sort of like that little maraschino cherry note, the little tangy. Yeah. Mm. It sort of is like if you've tried a cherry cola, it sort of is that combination that sort of makes it a little more descriptive. Sure. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Actually, I, you're not wrong. Now, I, yeah, now I can't get anything else. <laughs> Well, if you want to add a little bit of water to this one, go ahead. Or if you want to just drink it neat, what the hell, go for it. What's the proof on this one? 45% ABV, 90 proof. Let's bring in some more comments now um, from J.D. Hook, adding both of those to my list. Thanks, gents. Uh, we are getting recommendations about Irish whiskeys now. 
J.D. Hook open on recommendations on other Irish to try from Dave Kuhn. Yellow Spot is amazing. Yes, it is. Graham Frazier. Um, John's Lane. Powers John's Lane. Cask Strength Single Pot Still is a stunner. Yes, that is. Um, and then from J.B., I think Crown Royal is American-owned now. I think Canadian Club is still Canadian-owned. Let's correct that. Crown Royal is internationally owned because it's owned by Diageo, which is based in England. Canadian Club is owned by Beam Suntory, which is based in Japan. <laughs> okay. And Chicago. So there. There you go. But uh, they're still both made in Canada. Grand Royal is made at the uh, distillery that Diageo owns in Gimli, Manitoba, up in the middle of the uh, rain belt up there. And it is a beautiful place. <clears throat> um, a bit flat, a bit desolate, but a lot of grain. And it's a great place to visit in the summertime. And Crown Royal, I'm sorry, rather, the Canadian Club Whiskey is made at the Hiram Walker Distillery in Windsor, Ontario. Uh, technically, it's made by uh, Pernod Ricard under contract for Canadian Club. Uh, th there's a whole long story you go back there that goes back 15 years to various mergers and demergers and uh, corporate breakups. And uh, as Bill Ricker points out, Irish whiskey can be a gateway from bourbon to scotch or vice versa. Tim Trago. The pain train is watching from Pennsylvania, and we're pouring our own now. Hello, guys. Uh, I love the pain tour, guys. Yeah, they're great. And Graham Fraser, Buffalo Trace or Woodford Reserve would be the ideal first bourbon I'd recommend to a newbie. Yeah, that's okay. fair. I mean, BT for an off-the-shelf, you know, easy to drink, low dollar. I mean, it's it's hard to beat that one. Some of the barrel selects you get out of those from some of the liquor stores around town here and, and down there are just incredible. It's getting hard to find now, though. Like, it's not as prevalent, honestly. It's mm. pretty crazy. So this this 21 year, um, it's the, the flavor develops more, is it, after you kind of finish it and on the back of your tongue and your throat, it, it kind of stays with you, which is pretty cool. Yeah, very complex. And yeah. A lot of 21-year-old bourbons, when you find them, are really just like uh, oak monsters. It's over-oaked, and uh, I know Jimmy Russell at Wild Turkey has always said for years he would never bottle anything over 15 years old. Right. Because he considers it over-oaked, and then when his son Eddie took over as co-master distiller, Eddie started bottling 17-year-old stuff just to make Jimmy mad. <laughs> it's relatively low proof, so do you think they're getting away with with hiding some of the oak from it just because of how diluted it is. I'm sorry, what was that again? I couldn't quite understand. So it's relatively low proof. So do you think they're getting away with hiding that kind of over-oakedness just because they've diluted it so much? No, I think what they're trying to do is because it's a single barrel, they want to make sure that uh, they have enough to stretch and get a little bit out of that. But the 45% is actually a pretty good number. It's right at that limit where 45, 46% where you don't have to chill filter it where you don't have to add coloring into it to keep a nice dark color. And I don't believe they do anyway, but at 45%, they're not adding that much more water into it than they would get out of those single barrels. Because after 21 years, you're not, you're going to be in the low fifties anyway, just because of evaporation. Hmm. So mm -hmm. I think they're doing it just to provide a consistent taste while still remaining. It's because single barrels are going to vary, very obviously from barrel to barrel. So, they're trying to keep it consistent and reducing it to 45 lets a few more people maybe get it, get their hands on it who might not otherwise. Right. Interesting. So just, if, if you added one, what did you get? 
I see. I just put that in. So I'm going to try that now. I haven't done water like yet. Yeah, I added a bit. I feel like it got less complex. It kind of went the other way. But that also could be because we're on tasting three. Yeah. Or too much water. Or too much water. I'll add some more bourbon back to it. That's always good. <laughs> you know, with water, you only need a few drops, uh, like a bottle. Yeah. Water. Even just like if you're bottled water, like a bottle cap full is enough in a glass. Like yeah, that's about as much as I added. That's why I like the straw trick. Mm -hmm. It's a good way to do it. Yep. I have eye droppers that I use just to get a few drops in, but uh, straw works perfectly at if you're at a bar. Mm -hmm. You guys drink fancier than me. <laughs> you, drink, you drink rum and vodka, Tim, and Jameson. Not, not together. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that one birthday party. We're putting your comment on the bottom of the screen uh, from Whiskey Jason. Hi, guys. Uh, John Lane asking how it compares to the 23. I got my tasting notes at the website for both of them. I'm not, I'm not going to pull the 23 down and do a side-by-side -side here. Um, but you can check the website for my comments on the 23. Um, Graham Fraser, anyone tried the Jameson's Black Barrel? I've not, but it's had great reviews. Uh, yeah, Black Barrel's pretty good. Um, it's done in a little more heavily charred casks, and uh, I enjoy that one. Graham Fraser points out the cost of barrel-strength bourbons in, in the U.K. has increased dramatically. Yes, it has, and you can blame the trade wars for that one. Because the European Union, about a year and a half, almost two years ago now, clapped a 25% tariff on American whiskeys as part of its uh, trade disputes with uh, the U.S. And yes, that has forced, forced the cost of your bourbons to go up, and I'm sorry about that. Nothing I can do about it. <laughs> We've complained about that for a long time. So what do you think with water, James? It's, you know, it actually didn't, I don't know if I didn't put enough in, but it, it didn't change it a whole lot for me. It's sort of a, <clears throat> excuse me, as Alex said, East has not traditionally been uh, my favorite. I actually prefer the, the C919 over the, uh, the B517, even though it was, you know, bourbon of the year. And it's, uh, it's, it's still got a fair amount of spice. I do get some of that. I do get a lot of that oakiness still. And it's, it's almost like it's got, um, yeah, it's still got a lot of, a lot of heat on the back end for me. You know, when you kind of, you get through some of the spices, which I like, and then it just sort of keeps going and still kind of builds on the palate rather than sort of taper off and smooth on the finish for me. Okay. Um, any final thoughts on this one, Alex, before we move on? Um, I, I like it with water and that's, that's rare for me, honestly. Like I am usually a guy that, that drinks it neat and prefers it neat um, across all, all ranges of proofs. But I think with water, that, that opens it up really nicely. And it's, it's interesting. We're coming, the progression is steadily going upwards for me. So I started at five, now went to a six and a half. And I'd say this is a, a seven and a half out of 10 for me. So can't wait for uh, round four. <laughs> well before we go on to the last bourbon james i want to give you a chance to talk about a cause that i know that is close to your heart uh, donating blood because yes. i was uh, at a local blood drive yesterday and waited several weeks for it and i will acknowledge <clears throat> and i shouldn't say it openly because i'm going to catch hell from my daughters for this i got rejected for the first time ever because my blood pressure was a little bit off 
a little bit higher than they wanted. Ah. But I know how important it is to you, and I want to give you a chance to talk about this because uh, with this virus and the pandemic that's going around, a lot of the blood banks around the whole world are running into crisis and really in need right now. And uh, I know how close this is to your heart. So I want to give you a chance to talk about this one. Yeah, Mark, I appreciate that. First of all, appreciate you going out to donate and, and sounds like you're a regular donor and, and that's uh, that's massively appreciated, but you absolutely nailed it. Um, the pandemic globally has canceled uh, a lot of drives uh, around the world. If you think about where a majority of, of blood drives are held, <clears throat> excuse me, it's at big businesses and, and at schools, you know, universities and colleges and things like that. Obviously, all that shut down. And so the need for blood globally has not declined. If anything, it's on the increase with the stress on the healthcare system. But the, the ability to actually collect blood has, uh, has waned significantly. So whatever area you're in, and what I love about this is, you know, we've got uh, people watching from, from all over the world. Uh, whatever the organization is that does, you know, blood collection in your area, get on their website and look. I know a lot of these places are doing sort of pop-up smaller drives every couple days throughout a week to make sure they can try and keep the supply going as best they can. It's massively important and not just because of what's happening with COVID-19. You got to think of all the existing, pre-existing reasons for people needing blood trauma surgeries, chemo patients, burn victims, all these people uh, regularly need blood. And, uh, and unfortunately, while the rest of the world has shut down, accidents still happen and, and people still get sick. So this is still a, a very important need. So if you, have the, if you have the chance, look it up. Most people have a little bit more time on their hands than they, than they have <laughs> recently and they do normally. And I know the economy is making it tough for people to want to donate financially, which is obviously also a good help. This costs you absolutely nothing. So you've got the time, it costs you nothing, and it does save lives. So yeah, blood donation, absolutely needed worldwide. And, uh, and definitely a cause that's close to me. And, and you get a cookie. I'm sorry, go ahead. And you get a cookie or a, or a bag of chips <laughs> or a lollipop <laughs> sometimes. I went to one that was pizza. It was great. And look at why it's close to you, James. I mean, your life, is, you're still here because of blood donations. Absolutely. That's no doubt. When I had my accident in 2015, I had 22 units of blood pumped through my body. Uh, my body only holds 11. So I had two full oil changes is the joke that I like to make. And if that supply hadn't been on hand, you know, I, I wouldn't be sitting here today. So it's what, what I was frustrated with immediately after my accident was how ignorant I was of the need for blood and of the, the real situation, you know, about blood donation and blood collection. And I sort of made it my goal at that point to just be an advocate for it, just try to educate people more than anything on the need for blood and, and how important it is. And we cannot have too much of it because the demand is always outweighing supply. And we have a comment from a, a guy I know that you know in uh, Ontario, <laughs> Jeff Pepone, member of the Canadian Motorsports <laughs> Hall of Fame. Is Hinch saying that regular bourbon drinkers can still give blood? You know what? What's funny is we hosted a blood drive uh, during the month of May in Indianapolis, which of course is when the Indy 500 runs. And I was under the impression, again, in my earlier days of this, this is the, the, the year after my accident, that if you were drunk, you shouldn't give blood. You couldn't give blood. <laughs> um, 
I've su- I've subsequently learned through my time with uh, the Red Cross here in the states that that's actually not true. They can separate the alcohol, and drunk blood is just as good as sober blood. So even if you're a little tipsy, it's totally fine. You can still go in. You can still donate. <laughs> you're still saving lives. Well, and you got to think about it this way: there are two ways to rise your blood alcohol content: <laughs> add alcohol or subtract blood. And one of them <laughs> is way cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> and you get a cookie. And you, get, and a you get a cookie. So here's the thing. I have not been to one of James's blood drives, um, but now I have two reasons to go. The cookie <laughs> can't. What? I don't think you're allowed. Why? Did you live in England at some point? Yes. Yeah, yeah I don't think Mad Cow well, lets you I donate. It's like between like 1990 and like 1998, back when there was Mad Cow. Oh, okay. All right. You're fine. Because I saw the thing on that yesterday going, right. Of course. I mean, UK. Yes, but not during those periods of time. Right. I, I give, I donate right. uh, plasma pretty regularly. And I, I went this year to go do it because, again, it's the same thing. They have the demand and plasma shelf life is like six days. And I found out I'm, I'm ineligible because I had a bone graft for a dental operation. And I was like, that doesn't count. That was my mouth. But no, yeah, that still counts. Connected actually to the rest of your body. Yeah, it turns you know, out. Which is turns out. Little, so I'm, little science yeah, I'm thing not eligible it. until January of next year, unfortunately. Well, I uh, I donated a few weeks ago, and according to my blood donor app, I'm good to go again in 14 days. So in two weeks, I'll go again. Assuming you can go. Which again, they're like I said, there's these little drives are popping up all over the place. So I I know there's going to be a place to do it. I, I know the appointment I scheduled yesterday. It took me. I had to schedule it four weeks out because wow. because the Red Cross Center here, less than two miles from the house, didn't have anything open until yesterday. That's amazing. That's actually great news. Well, I think it's because they were cutting back on the appointments they had available for social distancing. For sure. So they were making they were cutting back on the number of, of opportunities you could do, donate blood. Mm-hmm. So, let's go on to our final one. This is the outlier of the bunch in that it is not a Kentucky whiskey. It is from Wyoming, but it has a Canadian angle to it. It's from Wyoming Whiskey. It's one of their private stock single barrels that was bottled for the British Columbia uh, State Provincial Liquor System. And the liquor store is in BC. Ah. Okay. And it is at... ABV or 109 proof. Beautiful. And there's just a little bit of this one left. So once again, it's one of these ones where I wanted to share it with people who I thought would get a kick out of something (laughs) unusual. And I thought you guys would enjoy this. So I'm going to pour, we're going to kill the rest of this bottle off. What's the age on it? This is probably about six years old. They've oh, only been bottling since they started distilling in, I think, 2006 or 2008, rather. 2008, their first bottling was December 1st, 2012. And they've ramped up over the years to where their, their regular barrels are now about close to five, four and a half to five years old. And their single barrels are anywhere between four and six, depending on taste. But they, uh, this is a weeded bourbon, as opposed to the rye-based ones you've had before. This is more like a Maker's Mark or a Weller, in that uh, their original master distiller was Steve Nally, who was the master distiller and Kentucky Bourbon Hall of Fame distiller at Maker's Mark for years. 
he moved out to Wyoming for a few years with his wife after retirement and distilled for these guys for a while and is back in Kentucky now working at Bargetown Bourbon Company. But this was one of his barrels from back then. And it says on here it was bottled for beautiful British Columbia. British Columbia is beautiful. I will I will agree with that. <laughs> so is I go it's out every year to the Victoria Whiskey Festival in BC, and I think it's a law out there that you can't say British Columbia without saying beautiful in front of it. <laughs> That's why people just refer to it as BC. It, it takes the beautiful out of it, so it saves time. So this is the strongest one of the bunch, and it's a single barrel once again. So It's a very unique scent. That's a that's a nose that I, I've never it. smelled before. It's made wow. with winter wheat instead of rye as the flavoring grain. So that's why it's going to be different. And it's going to be somewhere in that neighborhood of... Uh, say the Weller that you like. And uh, uh, I'm trying to think what else it would be <clears throat> in the neighborhood of say like a Pappy or a Larceny or an old yeah. made with wheat. Right. I mean, the wheated bourbons I'm a huge fan of, but even still, this is a, uh, it's a very unique smell. A lot of, there's a, like initially it was, it was hot. So like almost campfirey, but now it's, it's almost vanilla. Is it sat in the glass for a little longer? One of the advantages they have up there is they're distilling at altitude at about 7,000 feet above sea level. So that has some influence in terms of, we're still trying to figure that out in terms of uh, what the influence is of altitude in terms of uh, way it, uh, the way the whiskey moves into and out of the barrels. But they also have these extreme temperature swings up there that are even more than Kentucky, where they'll get down to 20 below in the winter, winter time and 100 degrees in the summertime, Fahrenheit. So right. a lot of extractive and extraction from the wood, but also the wood takes a lot out in terms of subtractive content and what it pulls out of the whiskey. So that's where you get mm. some of the more unique flavor and more unique aroma to it. It's like a spicy molasses, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like there's sweetness, but there's heat with it. Oh, that's good. I like that a lot. Speaking of weeded or wheat whiskey, my favorite non-scotch whiskey ever is the Parker's Heritage 13-year-old wheat whiskey. Put that into a chilled glass, and it's blissful. Greg in Paris. Uh, well, That's true. Spain now in Europe, especially in France. Once again, blame the tariffs. Greg also says, I cannot wait to try, oops, I cannot wait to try Shelter Point someday. Shelter Point is a single malt from uh, the Shelter Point Distillery in BC on Vancouver Island. Ah, cool. It's a very nice one. I like this a lot. This is, yeah. a, this is a nice one. It's Go ahead and it, guys, if you haven't already. There's the dog, by the way. There's Pappy. Pappy. Teddy. Come here. Nope. His name is Pappy. <laughs> that's definitely got some, that's got a peppery sort of spicy finish to it as well. Where do we where do we land on giving dogs bourbon? Is that okay? Not great. I have given my cats bourbon. We used to have one of my cats uh, that we used to have around the house. Mimi would get up on my desk and knock bottles over, or knock sample bottles over, but she would stick her nose in the glass all the way. <laughs> <laughs> in there for a second, way I used to refer to it as Mimi approved, and she lived to the ripe old age of sixteen. So. But so, yeah, I wouldn't exactly give them, uh, I wouldn't put it in the dish. <laughs> no, this is, this is for me. Yes. We have an explanation from, whoops, from David Hallett. 
because the air is so thin at high altitudes, liquids boil at lower temperatures. Right. High altitude allows distillation temperatures to be lower, which in turn makes it more possible to separate the good from the bad. That's interesting. Right. Yeah, I'm not sure. You don't really do much uh, separating of heads and tails in a column still at altitude, but yeah, I could see that. There's some arg there's some good argument to that. Yeah. Um, and you guys like Wellers, so Graham Fraser can't get Wellers currently in the UK. Frustrated Pappy drinkers acquiring it all. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. That happens in a lot of places. So go ahead and taste this one, if you haven't already. Greg points out in Paris again. Weller prices insaneness has nothing to do with international taxes, but rather some French importers agreed to sell it at 15 times more than last year. Yeah, I can see that. You see that place here too. I know. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy probably. Crazy. Yeah, it's probably a little bit of both. Charles Epperson just poured a dram of Wyoming whiskey single barrel. Love it. So, what do you think of the taste, guys? What are you getting on that? And if you want to go ahead and add some water, go ahead. I'm not going to add water to this. Yeah, I'm going to try with water as well. Okay, don't. I, I added a couple drops. I, I like it too much. I, I uh, this is a lot of what I look for. So. I don't know that I can quantify it more than that, but I enjoy drinking it. And I'm glad that this was part of one of the bigger sample bottles you gave us. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Cheers. So how, how, how much are you guys looking forward to doing the 500 in August, theoretically now, with the aero screens and the lack of ventilation? I, at this point, I think we're just excited to do the Indy 500, regardless, I, it could be it could be in a go <clears throat> racing in a sweatsuit, <laughs> a heater in the car, and I'd still be excited about it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's interesting. I think all of our our kind of development and understanding of it is is kind of halted, obviously, but it's the same for everyone. So, um, the schedule as it is 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 fairly condensed. Um, so yeah, I mean it's going to place even more importance on on the teams and drivers that can figure out the the effects of the aero screen out the quickest are going to are going to be looking better as as the season goes on. But um, yeah, I mean at, at this point, I think we're just excited to go racing, and the countdown is on till August. James, your thoughts? I know you haven't had a chance to really get into the aero screen yet in testing, have you? No, I haven't. But obviously, I've been you know kind of uh, speaking to everybody that uh, that's had the chance to drive it and uh, picking Alex's brain a lot and, and my other teammates brains a lot about, you know, what to expect going into it. And uh, I think the team's doing a great job trying to stay in front of whatever setup changes might come along with it, um, which seem to actually be not a ton, but you know, especially as we get to the super speedways and things like that, there's going to be effects and, and there's going to be places to, to find an advantage. And so hopefully, you know, we're on the, the leading edge of that. So, any final thoughts on this one? I, I just have a final thought, not related to bourbon. I love that when James's image pops up and it's big, um, one of the things was that he finished second on Dancing with the Stars. I just like to remind yeah, him. I laughed at that too. You know, that <laughs> and that he was America's second favorite dancer. Oh, on yeah, yeah. I was screwed on Dancing with the Stars, James. And well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. <laughs> because they didn't no, let, look. He just he couldn't compete against a sixteen-year-old girl, and that's <laughs> something that he has to accept and live with. I mean, that's normal for other things in life. 
in a dancing competition that makes perfect sense. Your natural audience didn't get to vote for you. That's true. You know, in a show that normally allows Canadian voters, that was one of the few seasons they did not. I think it was I only mean, two seasons they didn't. To be honest, I, I voted for her. I was going to say, That's I fair. voted for Lori Hernandez, too. <laughs> she was a phenomenal dancer. She was a phenomenal dancer. <laughs> and we didn't get a chance to really point it out, but uh, Alex, you did the Amazing Race or the Great Race with uh, the Amazing Race with Connor Daly a couple of years ago. Yes. See, where James, I feel like inch finished in dancing with the stars yeah, here's the difference yeah Alex, tell us the difference james he had did worse teammate. than you james had a teammate that elevated him unrelated how's connor doing <laughs> <laughs> still got diabetes mm. <laughs> I got to admit, I was watching the Red Bull video that uh, Alex, you and Travis Pastrana did with the at the Speedway over the winter, and I, I loved. And I I don't know who the motocross rider was, but when Connor was on the tee at the uh, Brickyard Crossing Golf Course, getting the snow splashed in his face, just like uh, getting his uh, face washed in a hockey stop, that was brilliant. <laughs> that whole video was so good. So so Connor's ultimate goal in life has always been to be in an energy drink video, whether that's Red Bull, Monster, Rockstar, whatever. <laughs> Big fan of it. So when we were there and doing the planning for, for the shots that we wanted to get, they were like, oh, you know, we need some golfers and we need some people who are interested um, to kind of be extras. And I was like, I've got the perfect guy. So I reached out to <laughs> like 20 degrees. He showed up and stood out in the cold and uh, did a couple of takes um, to pretend he was teeing off with uh, another buddy of ours. And he was a big, a big trooper for that. But yeah, we got him, we got him in an energy drink video. So that was a, a win for all of us, I think. <laughs> Is Connor into bourbons at all? Connor loves bourbon. Yep. He's a, he's a big four rose. We're getting, him there. We're getting him there. We will have to get him on one of these and, uh, we also want to say happy birthday to your teammate, uh, quasi-teammate, Jack Harvey, whose birthday is today. Uh, I know that he is a bourbon lover. He follows us on Twitter. And if he's watching, happy birthday. Cheers, Jack. Hey, not, refill for that. Yeah. Happy birthday, Jack. So, Alex, that's forgivable. You have 38 teammates. I want to do tastings. Guys, this has been fun. I hope you've had as much fun as I have. And, uh, Hang on a second here. I'm just going to say a few final words and uh, thank you again for this and enjoy it. Uh, gang, this has been fun. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I hope you'll join us for our next uh, live webcast coming up on Friday night, our happy hour show. We will also have uh, our weekly writers round table for you this week. Dr. Sam Simmons, Dr. Sam, whose degree is PhD is actually in poetry, but he is the doctor of whiskey. And Dave Worthington from the Uncorked Whiskey Sessions podcast will be joining us, along with Billy Abbott, who is the in-house blogger for the Whiskey Exchange in London. Becky Paskin of OurWhiskey.com will be joining us. Uh, you may have seen her a few weeks ago on our Happy Hour show. She has details on the OurWhiskey.com virtual whiskey festival that she was sort of kind of hinting at when she appeared with us last time. And we'll also have Scott Brunow and hopefully Bart from the Scotch Test Dummies as well. They're trying to work out their schedules to see just who can be available. 
Next week, we have another Whiskey Cast Wednesday session coming up. And uh, some of the folks who are going to be on that one, Alan Winchester from the Glen Livet. We have Andy Watts from the James Sedgwick Distillery and Three Ships uh, Whiskey in South Africa will also be joining us. And just a reminder that you can always uh, check out the podcast this weekend. We will be at whiskeycast.com once again. That's where you can also find all the WhiskeyCast HD videos, the virtual tasting podcast. You can also catch us on your home smart speaker. And if you have any comments, you can always email us. The address is comments at whiskeycast.com. We want to give a final shout out and raise our glasses, as always, to the first responders and the healthcare workers and the grocery store workers and all the folks in retail who have to work, who are being dragged into work to help keep uh, society running these days and putting their lives on the line while this whole pandemic goes on. We salute you, we honor you, and we thank you for everything that you're doing for us. As for the rest of us, the best thing we can do is stay home, stay safe, and uh, keep doing what you do. I'll leave it at that. And thank you for joining us, and I'll see you on the Friday webcast. Until Friday, I'm Mark Gillespie. Slaunch you guys. Thanks so much for listening to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Keep in contact with us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at AskOffTrack. Or you can follow us individually. We're at Hinchtown and at Alexander Rossi. If you want to follow Tim, though we have no idea why you would, he's at the Tim Durham. We really need to get that changed to at producer Tim. The music you heard today is by Ryan Dan of Holland Patton Public Library. Off Track with Hinch and Rossi is produced by Tim Durham. And by that I mean Tim. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.